everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 17, Behind the Scenes, brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementsopi.com. Today we're going to take a look at what, what lies beneath the graphical user interface in Linux. Some of the things that you probably dealt with and maybe didn't know you were dealing with them. And uh, we're going to peel back the curtain a little bit and let our command line godfather loose uh, on us today. And so speaking of our command line godfather, hi, Chris. How's it going? Hey, everyone. Doing really well today. Good. Mr. Chris Neves with us. Seth Anderson is back. Say hello, Seth. Hello, everybody. Hey, Seth. Good to have you with us. And as always, our noob in residence, Mr. Aaron Butler. Hello, Aaron. Hello, Mark, Chris, Seth, listeners. You're not going to name all the listeners one at a time? I did. Oh. Listener. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the one. Hello, hello out there, one listener. Uh, so I wanted to talk about something very important today uh, before we get on with the topic matter, and that is uh, movie remakes. Um, stop doing them. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I don't remember how it came about, but somebody mentioned recently the old classic uh, – sci-fi movie 1951 uh the day the earth stood, stood still and uh, it was remade in 2008 with keanu reeves and i had never seen either of them and thanks to the beauty of uh netflix i was able to have to have both of them delivered to my house and so in one sitting well actually across two days i was able to watch both movies sort of back to back so i watched the original first and then i watched the new one and what I have to say about that is the new one wasn't even related to the old one. They Well, they were loosely related, very loosely. But I think it's interesting that, you know, we talk about these um, remakes, but they're not really remakes. They're just sort of taking the name of something that was once popular and doing it again. Um, you know, if I, I'm sorry if I'm going to give you any spoilers, but uh, in the original 1951 version, the aliens came down and they were concerned about the the fact that America uh, or the uh, humans rather had nuclear power and were reaching toward the stars. And and of course, at that point, nobody had been in space yet, but uh, we were working toward that. And uh, so that was the thing. It's like you're aggressive, and now you're a nuclear power, and uh, we're afraid because we're your interplanetary neighbors and we're going to blow you up if you don't change. Wow. The uh, short story was nothing like that. Of course. I, now, in, in, the, in the 2008 version, we had to be green. And now it's, we're destroying the Earth, and the interplanetary neighbors can't let us do that because Earth-like planets are so rare. So they come down, and they take all of um, our animals from us. Or, or representations of all of our animals from us, and then start to wipe us out, and then they're going to repopulate the planet so they can do better. Well, what's really funny is I heard on the radio just this week that there's actually a government study out there trying to postulate what would happen if we ran, we actually encountered an, another alien species uh, on Earth if they actually visited us. And one of the possible scenarios that this, it was either Boston, it was oh, like, some major university scientists that they got to do this. One of his possible scenarios is that they'd be very mad at us because we're so ecologically unfriendly. Right. We're that, that we, they would be, they would want to exterminate humans because we're damaging earth. Yeah. I guess he just got through watching the, the remake. <laughs> so uh, Seth, what was the original short story like? 
Um, well, in the original short story, the person was the creation of the robot. I don't know if that was, and the robot was the one studying humanity. Oh, that's very so, different. Yeah, it was an awesome short story to read, though. I would highly recommend reading for anybody who can has the uh, patience to read more than 140 characters. Well worth it. <laughs> now, in the well, in the 1951 <clears throat> movie, Gort the robot, uh, these these people had this interplanetary federation of of sorts had created this race of sentient robot uh, as their police force, and they respond automatically and with uh, immediate authority to any violence. And so anybody gets violent, the robots destroy them. And if necessary, destroy their whole planet. And therefore, it's a very peaceful sort of thing, because anything not peaceful is dealt with. In the new one, they don't ever mention what the robot's for. He's just kind of there. Uh, he's a holdover from the first one. Right. <laughs> well, he, he, his SAG contract was extended you know, through <laughs> 2020, so he had to be in the movie. And they, well, you know... They even come up with a, a way to give him the name Gort. It's a genetically organized robotic technology, uh, just course. so they can use the same name. Yeah. Wow. Well, the uh, uh, since we're talking about sci-fi movies, Mark, I mentioned this one earlier, and, and you have I don't think you've seen this one either. Anybody that's listening to this show, I'm assuming is some level of geek. If you haven't seen Forbidden Planet, you need to go see, need to rent the Forbidden Planet. Plus Original, one on Forbidden Planet. And so I think it's 1950-51. Leslie Nielsen, in one of his serious roles before he got Police Academy, I mean, uh, airplaneized. And uh, it's a really, that's where Robbie the Robot from from uh, Space Family Robinson, uh-huh. that's where he came from. Space Family Robinson. <laughs> <laughs> Lost in space. Um, that's where he came from. Uh, so check it out. Forbidden Planet, the monsters of the id. Scared me to death when I was a little kid. Great movie, though. Scared me to death Although, when I was a kid. I, I will say the remake of Captain America is much better than the cheesy 70s version. The, so yeah. that's, that's not a remake. That's not a remake at all. <laughs> I, I, that is the best Captain America movie yet. But oh, it's, a, it's a small uh, uh, hurdle to get over to be the best yeah. yet. Well, what's really sad is the first Fantastic yeah, no Four s- movie. No spoilers, guys. I haven't seen it yet. There's, a lot of people don't even know there was a first Fantastic Four movie. The guy was didn't have the money to make the movie and he was going to lose the rights to it. So they cut the budget to $1 million. The actors didn't know that they were just making the movie to be able to keep the rights. And so they went through all the motions and then they shelved it and never released it. <laughs> Funny. You can buy it, you know, bootleg at comic cons and stuff, but the original one, uh, it was, it was bad. Like no special effects of any kind. And well, uh, there's a, there's a, there's a move, a show out there called comic superheroes. And it's a big thing about, uh, a documentary about movies and superheroes and stuff, and they have some pictures of some behind-the-scenes footage of that, and it's just—it's horrible. I mean, it's absolutely <laughs> just oh man. One anyway. of those things is so bad you just gotta watch it. Yeah, it's 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 almost to the point of laughable that you just kind of laugh at it as you watch it. It's along the lines of the first Captain America movie, but not quite as well made. Kind of like the live-action <laughs> oh, wow. Tick series. It's so bad you have to watch it just to say you've watched it. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> that was bad. <laughs> All right, uh, so uh, your daughter is covered in syrup? What's that about? <laughs> well, yeah, just a little bit ago, um, my daughter, we she is a big fan of strawberry syrup in her milk. And, of course, she knows where it is. And so since I'm recording and my wife is trying to quickly make up some yummies for tonight, um, 
she decided to get into her strawberry syrup all on her own. How old is she? Be a Canadian so, thing. Three. 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 She is a three-year-old. And, of course, three-year-olds love to get in as much trouble as they possibly can in the least amount of time possible. Um, she went from having nice, normal, blonde, curly locks to strawberry-tinted... Strawberry blonde. <laughs> <laughs> literally, from head to toe. So, yes, that, that's what I was greeted to when I went outside real quick for a bottle of water. That Did you know what your daughter did? She was covered in strawberry syrup. From her head to her toes. So now we have to go out and buy another bottle of strawberry syrup. Oh. Well, my son <laughs> found the black and red cans of spray paint that my wife had been using to build make his dresser. So we have a black spot on the wall on the carport, and the center of our box fan that was sitting out there is now red. <laughs> so he did his own little, you know, spin psychedelic dye thing like nice. he used to do at the fair where he put the paint and it slings it off the edge. <laughs> So, Seth, it's the end of an era? Did you write that? Yes, I did. I was listening to the Tightwad Tech, and I did not hear Sean say good show at the end. Oh, no. So, uh, I mean, you know, I can't believe that he ruined the tradition that has stood fast for this whole year plus. I thought he was referring to Steve Jobs quitting. I didn't know. (laughs) You know, actually, at the end of that show, I actually turned to him and said, you forgot to say good show. He was like, did I really? Yes, he did. yes, and you know, I noticed. So shame on him. That's uh, which that was a couple of weeks ago, right? Well, it was the one I just heard. So okay. So uh, was it a great show? I thought it was a very good show. Okay, so you can say it for him. It was a great yeah. show. <laughs> good show, everyone. Okay, and now onto something a little bit technical, a little bit computerized. Um, I wanted to uh, because we had a discussion recently about uh, security in Linux. Um, I ran across uh, a fairly old posting on the Microsoft.com uh, website of the TechNet called the 10 Immutable Laws of Security. Um, and I'm just going to, I'm not going to expand on these very much, but I wanted to read the 10 Immutable Laws of Security and, and maybe we'll have a little bit of discussion about them. Law number one, if a bad guy can persuade you to run his program on your computer, it's not your computer anymore. Law number two, if a bad guy can alter the operating system on your computer, it's not your computer anymore. Law number three, if a bad guy has unrestricted physical access to your computer and can make your lock screen go away, it's not your computer anymore. (laughs) Um, Law number four, if you allow a a bad guy to upload a program to your website, it's not your website anymore. Law number five, weak passwords trump strong security. Law number six, a computer is only as secure as the administrator is trustworthy. (laughs) Law number seven, encrypted data is only as secure as the decryption key. Law number eight, an out-of-date virus scanner is only marginally better than no virus scanner at all. Law number nine, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. (laughs) Thank you, Spock. (laughs) Law number nine, absolute anonymity isn't practical in real life or on the web. And the last immutable law of security is technology is not a panacea. So any comment on those as a whole, guys? It's fairly true still. Yeah, I would quibble with just a couple of them, like uh, law number eight. An out-of-date virus scanner is totally worthless because it gives you the false sense of security. Um, well, it would still block the NIMDA virus or Code Red, which is floating out there. So it's 
it's better than nothing, but only barely. Yeah, but you think you're secure, so you do semi-reckless things. Yeah, with, do people uh, really do that, though? Oh, I've got a virus scanner. I'll click this link. Yeah. People, I had, oh, well, my virus, I have an antivirus software, and, you know, that was last updated three years ago, and they're horrified at that. I see that all the time. That machine so. right there, prime example. In my, if you, anybody that can see the video stream, prime example. It's a four, it's a six year old antivirus. And it's so infested that it's almost a nuke and pave. Nuke and pave. <laughs> you get paid for every time you use that word or that phrase? No. It's uh, just if my you Google it, my it has a picture phrase. of Chris. <laughs> I thought maybe that was a, you know, some marketing deal you had. I wish. That'd be a good one, though. <laughs> Um, Brought to you by plutonium, <laughs> your favorite element. <laughs> element OP. Yeah, OP is my new favorite element. My 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 favorite part of that is weak passwords trump strong security. Um, you know, if you've got uh, 256-bit AES security and your password is password and it's taped on a sticky note on your monitor, it doesn't do you any good at all. Yes, you yeah. set up, uh, you have a nice... 14 character digit, you know, high entropy password, but yet you've enabled web access and you haven't changed the default password for your Linksys router. You have no security. <laughs> and I like the other one, the line number six, where it says your, your computer is only as secure as your administrator. Yeah. Because wasn't well, there a news story in, was it LA that had San Francisco? The, that it was San Francisco that had their whole system was upheld because the administrator wouldn't give up the passwords. Yeah, yeah, we did a story on the Taiwan Tech uh, a while back, several months, maybe even a year ago, about uh, an ad network admin who was running a a pay per view porn site off of his company servers, um, and he was able to hide. That's it. how I can make more money. Yeah, and he had it was this big tier one company with just lots and lots of bandwidth. And so he had put the stuff on their servers and was making uh, millions of dollars a year running this pay-per-view porn site on his company servers. You give these guys literally the keys to the kingdom. You tell them, uh, years ago when I first got the job I have now, almost 15 years ago. Um, yeah, on a side note real quick, Mark, I think you've just fixed the education funding in Texas. <laughs> Um, anyway, when I first got the job, the my superintendent, I w was doing something with uh, their really crude at the time finance management system. And um, he said, I want this on my computer and this person's computer, and I want it so nobody else can look at it. And I said, well, I can't make it so that I can look at it. I can't look at it. Anything here, I can look at. If you're not okay with that, you need to fire me right now because there's nothing on this system. There's no secret you can keep that I can't know. And uh, luckily, he didn't fire me. But uh, that is the way it is. Your your admin guy can read your email. He can look at your files. He can see your. He can do everything. He knows everything, or has the capacity to. He is the proverbial god of the network. Yeah. Now he also should have much better things to do than to read your email, <laughs> but uh, that doesn't uh, preclude the fact that he can. All right. Anything else before we move on to the meat of the matter? As opposed to HIPAA, where HIPAA says, no, you can't read any of it. <laughs> I know you're not supposed to anyway, but you know what I'm saying. Anyway, right. No, it's time for meat. Okay. Um, so let's talk about some of the things that happened behind the scenes. And when I talk about behind the scenes, I mean 
uh, like some of the things we talked about last week, file systems and partitions, most of the time when you interact with your Linux operating system, you're not terribly aware of that. You don't know if your home folder is on a different partition than your your root folder. You don't see that. So we're going to talk about some of the behind-the-scene themes, uh, seeing... Behind the scene things. There we go. First day with a new tongue. Um, and one of the first things I wanted to mention is user groups. Um, because that's one of those things that is really so far behind the scenes that sometimes even the Uber geeks have a hard time with it. But there are groups of users on your computer. Now, in the Windows world, you've got your super user, your administrator, and, and those sort of things. But in Linux, the groups are, are, can be arbitrary. Every application can have a group set to it. Like, for example, if you're running a web server, there is an Apache group that is created by the Apache install, and you can't do anything with your web server unless you're part of the Apache group. And sometimes that can get you into some trouble. Um, Chris, Seth, you guys got any experiences offhand you want to share about that? Well, I can say that I know I've had an issue with user groups and not being a part of this is in a little bit ago, but when, if you weren't a part of the Pulse group, Pulse Audio would have a small hiccup with you, and you wouldn't be able to use your audio drive, your audio driver at all. Yeah, we talked about um, that a couple of weeks ago, I think. Yep. yep. And the other one I've, I ran into is if you're not a part of, if you use VirtualBox, you have to make sure that you are a part of the VirtualBox group. Otherwise, the little um, kernel mo- uh, module doesn't load. Now, most of the time, this all happens automatically. Uh, when you install VirtualBox, the user that you install VirtualBox uh, as gets added to that group. Where it runs, where you run into trouble is in multi-user environments. Uh, say you you share your laptop with your wife; she has her own login. She's not going to be able to run maybe VirtualBox um, because you installed it as you, but she's not in that group. So you need right. to, you need to know how to fix that. And almost all um, uh, operating systems have something in, an, in the control panel or an admin section or something like that where you can go in and add people to groups. So you need to be aware that it's there and know that if something's not working, maybe that's one of the first places you need to look. Huh. Seth, you another, say another, earlier? did you have a comment? Uh, no, I really, you know, I've never run across this issue, so oh, okay. I'm the noob about this. All right. I was going to say another one I found an issue with is if you're setting up, um, if you're using Fuse, you may end up with a hiccup with Fuse because you're not part of the Fuse group. Now, nine times out of ten, when you install Fuse, you're installing it, you know, it, it automatically adds you to, to the group. But there again, in your multi-user environment, you may not get that. Yeah, and the idea behind all this is security. Nobody can do something that has they haven't been specifically allowed explicitly allowed to do. Um, and, and Unix and its derivative Linux was built from day one as a secure operating system with that in mind. And so there are a lot of sometimes arcane sort of things there that I'll come back to security first, ease of use second. And that's one of those holdovers. Uh, if you assign something in the code of your program that says the user must be in this group, then it must be, and there's nothing you can do about it. There's certain uh, things dealing with uh, uh, video, like uh, webcams and, and things like that, that in order to access that hardware, so that to, that's to keep a, a piece of malware. You know, we just talked about the immutable laws. If you can get somebody to load code on your machine, it's not yours anymore. 
Linux is, is designed to sort of help make that less possible because um, the, the groups are explicit and the user has to be explicitly put in that group. So the malware you download isn't necessarily going to be in that group. So, yeah, that's something to mention. Um, the groups aren't necessarily about users. Applications and files also can be in a group, which is a little weird. Uh, which is why it's so hard to infect a Linux machine. Right. So let's talk a little bit about file modes, because that affects um, the group thing, too. So you can have a directory, say, you know, um, slash home slash marks directory, and you can attribute that directory to a group. And then you can decide what the what groups can do what things with that file. Um, right. And it's really one of the hardest things for anybody to get accustomed to, uh, any Linux admin. Um, so what tends to happen is we set everything as 777 oh. uh, on everything because it's easy that way. And Chris, why That's is 777 scary. bad? Why is the perfect number bad? 777 is evil because it gives everyone in anything out there read, write, and executable. Um, that means if your secret PDF document is a, uh, in, you know, it's viewable and readable by anybody. And if you, yeah, it's just a scary, scary thing. So like on your web server, if you have something as 777, it's viewable, it's editable. Someone can go in there and change your code. Um, it's just, don't do it. That's bad. Bad, bad, bad. And so the way those sevens... Why 777? Okay, the way the sevens come from, um, the four bit, if you assign it a four, that's read. Okay? The two bit, if you assign it a two, that's write. The one bit is execute. The zero bit is none. So you can set all of those, read, write, execute, that's four plus two plus one, that's seven. Or you can do read and execute, that's a five. Or you can do write and execute, that's a three. Or you can do just execute. What's that? What's the three, what are the three different sevens signify? Okay, that is um, what the user can do, what the group can do, and then what people outside the group can do. Okay. So Hmm. if you have it 777, the user who owns this file, the one who created it, can read, write, and execute. Then anyone inside the group can read, write, and execute. But then also anybody outside the group can read, write, and execute. So 777 is um, anything goes. Now, for example, a common thing for web folders will be 755. Okay? 7 being the group owner, Apache, the user, the owner, can read, write, and execute. Um, The group can read and execute, which you'd need to do on a web file. You need to be able to read them, but you can't write to it. You can't put something there. And then people outside the group can read and execute. So execute means run uh, a PHP script that you've got on your web server. So that's a common file permission to have on a web folder. Yep. Did I explain that fairly well, Chris? You pretty much hit everything on the head. Um, In our show notes, I have a really down and dirty, I mean, it lists everything out pretty well. If if you want to, we'll put that in the show notes for for anybody who comes up after it. Um, they really go through and they go overboard explaining it um, to the point of almost too deep. But it really helps, especially with the, like the shemod command. 
where you can um, change those permissions on a file. So if you want to grant somebody else, some other group permissions, you can. Okay. Um, now, again, most of the time, if you're a wizard-driven person who just sort of does things um, by the by the scripts, you're not going to see these sort of things. But you also may find that, that things are set more permissively than they need to be. Um, and oftentimes, when you're trying to troubleshoot something, the first thing somebody will say is check permissions on the directory. Um, you know, I'm trying to do something, but this other person that I'm trying to let remote in can't do it. Check permissions on the directory. And the nice thing is, if you don't want to jump in the command line, you can get to the same thing in your file viewer. Um, like for in KDE, it's it's Dolphin. So if you actually go to where the file is or the directory and you right click and go to properties, they have a permissions tab that has the same same reading. So you can say owner and under like I have a file here that's a PDF that says the owner can read and write. But my group and I have this a little more secure. The group and others is forbidden. So no one else can touch it but the owner. So that's seven zero zero. Yep. Just so that we're kind of clear on that. And Chris, you put something in the notes, ls-l, what does that do? In the command line, if you type in ls-l, it'll list out all of the files in that particular directory and what their permissions are um, as a um, rwx and then rwx. So like for all the user, for the users and the group. So like when you, like I just did an ls hyphen l on my home directory and it lists all my directories out and it lists out all my files. So like my, oh there, I'll go with that same PD, that PDF. It shows the, it's not a directory, so there's a hyphen there. Where if it was a directory, there'd be a D in the first part. Then it says RW and then hyphen, 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 hyphen all the way through saying it's null. That means, of course, like you said before, Mark, that the owner can read and write but no one else can. And then above it is a directory, which starts in that, that command line. It shows a D, meaning it's a directory. The owner has read, write, execute. The group has read and execute, and the and others have read and execute. So that one I have a little more wide open because it's a public folder. It's my uh, public drive, or my public directory, excuse me. Now, where the non-expert user is likely to run into this is say you downloaded um, a file uh, from a website that you want to run. Uh, by default, all Linux versions that I know of in all browsers will s save something on your desktop uh, without that write, uh, execute bit enabled. So say you download the latest version of VirtualBox because what's in the repository is older and you want to run it. You will click on it and it will say, uh, permissions don't allow this to be executed. So then you have to right-click on it, go to properties, and check the execute bit. Seth, have you experienced that before? Yes, I have. Yeah. Many times. And that's what that is. You, uh, the default settings, and, and once you set the settings on a folder, every file put in that folder inherits those per, uh, settings. So your desktop is set to read, write, but not execute. So everything you put on there gets read, write, but not execute. So you have to go in and individually uh, uh, give that execute bit before you can actually run the program. Yep. Anything else? 
Um, I think that pretty much covers file permissions. Um, we can go into, I, I don't know if we really need to go into much detail. That covers it pretty deeply. Um, a lot of times you'll also see a 775. Okay. Which That's pretty common. User can do whatever they want. Users group can do whatever they want. Public can only read and execute, which, yeah, is yep. a very common thing there. Oftentimes the user is root and the group is root. Or if you're logged on as, as Bob, the user is Bob and the group is Bob. Because every time you create a user, a group is created. So there's the Bob group and the Bob user. But you can Except have, for in Fedora. Right. But Joe can be in the Bob group. Yep. <laughs> so it can be user Joe in the Bob group. Crazy. See, and Fedora is a little bit different, um, at least as far unless they've changed something since the last time I used a Fedora box. But they actually have a user's group. And everyone is in the users group, which is more Windowsy. Yeah, yep. How Microsoft with them? Yes. <laughs> so, Seth, who is root anyway, and why do we care? Um. Well, root is the like Linux equivalent to administrator in Windows world. So, uh, and. The reason you care is in Linux because it is designed for security. You don't have, you know, in, in Windows, and they're getting better, but historically, Windows is kind of like the wild, wild west. Everyone could do anything, and it made for some mucked up systems. Um, but in Linux, even if you're logged in, has a has a root, which you should never do, but you would still have to do root permissions whenever you did something. So root is like the holy grail of Linux. Um, you don't want to give away your root access because then someone can do whatever to your machine. It's what we talked about in the 10 laws. If you give someone the administrator password, then you're, it's not really your box anymore. So root is the super user, superman user of the Linux world. Does that kind of in layman's terms, maybe? That sounds about right. And so you never want to run as root. Never do it. Unless, unless you're in puppy and that's the only user available, <laughs> that's, but that's a different thing. Yeah. Um, um, in the what was it? Is either Red Hat or OpenSUSE? It was one of those two distros a long time ago. When you log on as root, the default wallpaper was bright red with big yellow letters that said "Do not run as root." With bombs <laughs> on the desktop, yeah, they there were, were bombs. little bombs. Yeah, which OS was that, Chris? Uh, if I, if I remember, it was both. It was both Suzy and Fedora. Okay. Yeah, maybe that was a gnome thing. Maybe gnome did that. But it was yeah, That's it was funny. just big you can break things, bad things can happen. Do not run as root. Because Windows users have been doing that forever. I mean the um the fact that there was a non root user is relatively new in the Windows world. Um yeah, so, that's the equivalent of, of here, double click on this dot reg file. Nothing will happen, I promise. <laughs> this that dot VBS file. <laughs> yeah. Click on that. So, uh, Chris, we've talked covered this before, but just as a quick refresher, what do you do if you need to be root temporarily? Well, if you're using the command line, the best thing and easiest thing to do is make sure your your users are part of the pseudo group, which there again we go back to go to your groups and make sure you're you know what groups are do what. If you're a part of the pseudo group or the SU group, you'd be able. Well, SU is different. Pseudo would be if you want to keep your user your user land, and then you're just executing something as the super user, as in pseudo super user do. 
Um, and then SU actually transforms you to the super user. Yes. So that's for, that's the proverbial uh, telephone booth. <laughs> yep, yeah, pretty much. You go in as Clark Kent, you come out as super user. Uh, now, the thing about <laughs> SU is you can SU to any user. Yep. So you don't have to be a super user, even though I think SU stands for super user. So you can SU to your wife's account and log on as her temporarily, assuming you know her password. So it's uh, an odd command there, but it, it so can be handy. Would that be handy for testing things? If you wanted to verify permissions on a file, you SU to a generic user account, try it, see if you're actually blocked and blah, 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 then you SU back to, to whatever your account is? Yeah, or uh, say you're doing something that, uh, like, for example, when I was setting up a backup service, uh, I know that as an administrator, I can get to whatever files I want to do, so I'll SU to the, the backup user and see if he can run the script so I don't have to leave my shell that I'm in. Because yeah, that's a pain in Windows, um, especially when you start talking about services running on servers that are um, running as local admin accounts on that server, and then but they need to access shares on other machines and all that kind of stuff. That can be a real hassle. Indeed. Oh yeah. I want, I want sudo on my window. And there's a, as far as I know, there's only run as administrator. There's not run yeah. as another user. Exactly. Which the if you're, it's administrator, that's not a problem. You're going to see the other way around when right. it becomes an issue. Uh, so, Chris, why don't you take us through the different run levels available in most uh, Linux distributions and what they do and why we would care? Well, there most of the time you won't even see these different run levels, um, but they're mainly used right now for um, troubleshooting issues. Um, run level zero would be power off. That would be considered what's called a system halt. Um, that one you assume automatically when you tell the, when you tell your Linux machine to shut down, it says to go into system, their run level zero and it shuts everything down. Run level one is considered single user mode. And that's where that would be safe mode in windows, I guess would be the easiest way to describe that. Um, in single user mode, you can do things like change users, um, change user passwords, change root password. Uh, a lot of things that you would, and there's no, it, it's a very limited environment. It has, uh, I don't even think it has basic networking. It just, it's just local services. Right. No networking. The yep. three is single user network. Run level three. Okay. Yeah. Um, when you get to, um, then you go up to run level two, which is your full user. Um, and this is taken from Debian, so it may be a little bit different for uh, Ubuntu, Fedora, and, and Suzy. Um, but under 2, you go to full multi-user multi mode, which is no graphical, but you have multiple users available. When you get to users, um, when you get to version uh, run level 4 and 5, that's considered full multi-user graphical mode. With that. Um, with networking. Right. Uh, four is without networking. Five is with networking, if I remember correctly. That sounds right. And then run That's level six like puts you in reboot mode. And so if you tell it to reboot or to, if you want to do a reboot from a command line, if you go into run level six, it'll do a reboot for you without having to issue a reboot command. 
So no, the, command line, Godfather. How does one change the run level from the command line? <laughs> well, that depends on distribution. Um, a lot of times you can just use the tell init command. And what that does is you're telling the system to go in to assume a new run level. So you'd just be, um, you'd have to sudo and then tell t-e-l-i-n-i-t whatever user, whatever run level you want to be. Uh, I know a lot of times when you're, especially in OpenSUSE, when if you're trying to install the uh, proprietary graphics drivers, they don't want you in a graphical mode. So you have to downshift yourself into um, graphical, a, a non, with no X running. So that would be run level two. And once you get down to two, you can then inst- do your install for um, the the dr- graphics dr- driver. Wow, I can't talk tonight. <laughs> and then uh, once you get down into level two, you do your command line to to get the driver to install, and then you just tell init to go back up to your regular version, and then you're running with the new proprietary driver. And this pretty much always requires a reboot in most cases, right? Uh, it, mm, 90% of the time, yeah. unless you're running some special kernel that allows you to patch that um, on the fly, which there's a couple. Yeah, most you can of the tell time. This was, go ahead, Eric. I was going to say you could tell this is uh, more of my color commentary. Tell this was created by a nerd because he's got levels. I got a level four running <laughs> on my computer. What you <laughs> got? I've got level six on mine, you know. <laughs> yeah, so, um, the, Aaron, the way I would do it. Um, not knowing about the tell init command, I've never heard of that. You'd before. use webmin, wouldn't you, Mark? Uh, no, uh, that's that <laughs> might work, but um, actually, that might work. I've never tried. Use it. that for everything. <laughs> I'm gonna have to look and see if webmin can do that. Now, the way I would do it is edit the uh, the grub menu uh, because there's a line right at the very end, the last line that it run uh, tells you uh, what run level. So uh, generally, it, if it's blank, like in uh, in Red Hat or or uh, uh, those type, you know, I'm a CentOS guy, uh, it's blank, that assumes run level uh, 5. So you go in there and you type at the end of it run level 3, and it'll reboot into a non-graphical uh, mode with uh, multi-user and network. Uh, so that's the way I would do it. And I, and I have had to do that before, like with what Chris was talking about, when you have graphic issues or uh, maybe your drive got hosed and you can't, get to it to repair it you know you need to run check disk on it or uh, or fsck uh, rather and you can't do that um because you can't get to the graphical system to do it so you need to load a non-graphical system first so that's that's why you do it and again chris said most of the time you're never going to see these but that's what this whole episode is about things that you don't ordinarily see and i i put in the show notes uh, a wikipedia thing about Tell INIT. Um, it comes in. It's it's one of those tools that when you first find out about it, you're like, oh, well, that's kind of handy. And then it's like, wow, I could really use that command. Yeah. And then, of course, there are those distributions that completely disable Tell INIT, which drives me absolutely crazy. <laughs> so I will uh, make sure I post those when I post the show. Um, Guys, any other behind-the-scenes things? These were just some notes that I put together of things that you don't ordinarily interact with, but it might be handy to be able to at different times. Has anything come to your minds as we've as we've gone? Well, not for me. 
I try <laughs> like to use the GUI whenever possible. I'm yeah. like the GUI kid. Yeah, you're not a noob, but you're like one step up from a noob, right? You just you take the defaults. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. I like having the option. I'm like, uh, I don't know if you ever saw the line and uh, if you ever saw the last Starfighter, but you know, it's like you have a house on wheels but never go anywhere. So I love having the options, but I rarely use them. So <laughs> that's funny. Uh, Aaron, any other comments? I think you've Seth just defined his username in the chat room for the rest of his life. The gooey kid. <laughs> that's what it needs to be. <laughs> well, I know I stuck one little thing there in, in the show notes. Um, Talking about behind the scenes, conspiracy theory. What if, in oh, some no. parallel universe, uh, somebody like Linus Torvalds was smart enough to stick a back door into the original kernel? Is there enough code in there that he could hide that, and that one day in the near future he could go to his computer and type, "There is no cow level." And suddenly he would be in control of every Linux machine on the planet and he could use it to calculate what the question that the answer is 42 for. Um, is that possible? Could, is it, could it be done? Could there be something hidden in a kernel that gets, that gets uh, distributed? Yes. Oh, very much so. There, is so. there are thousands and thousands of lines of code. And, and recently, um, just a, a quick uh, thing about that. I'm trying to remember the details, but recently a uh, security uh, run of some sort uh, that it was like 20 years old. It was an algorithm. Blowfish. Blowfish. Yeah. yeah. Blowfish. That's it. Uh, been, been, been around forever, was totally broken, and nobody had noticed it uh, for 20-something for years. So, yeah, that's See? possible. It's entirely possible. Because that always happens in the movies. You know, the guy, the... Uh the programmer guy, don't worry, I put a back door in. Right. There's always a back door. It usually involves control and at least two other letters. And then a whole <laughs> bunch of real fast typing. Yeah. There's uh, one of, uh, I think it might be Linus, but one of the open source mantras uh, is, uh, given enough eyeballs, all bugs are shallow. Which is true, assuming everybody's looking for bugs. But code is tricky. Code tricks you into believing what is written there. Uh, oh, I mean... That's how the blowfish lasted so long is because people saw what the programmer was trying to do right. instead of what the, he told the program to do. Well, I'm, I've written you know long scripts in SQL. That's my primary language that I end up programming, Transact SQL. And, and something will spit out on the other end, and then it'll be like, this should be a list of patient addresses. And why is it telling me the number seven? <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like, what is going on? And five and people can look at that and see, I don't know, Aaron, this looks right. This is, it I looks know. to me like it's supposed Bob, to be come working. Here. Josh, come here. And we're all looking at it. It's like, there's, oh, I left the parentheses off. You know, that's what, it, or I didn't take that null in consideration. Exactly. So I can imagine on something, you know, I'm talking about on, on a long script that I write, because it's usually fairly uh, compartmentalized, you know, 500 lines, 750 lines. You're talking about 150,000 lines of code or 500,000 or 5 million. I mean, it's a wonder anything works. Right. <laughs> and there's been many stories where a hacker has tried to submit code to an, um, to like a distribution and it uh -huh. made it through like the junior level admins. And it was like a senior level guy saw it and go, oop, that's bad. Not going to approve it. What's this well, thing and here that's, that's why there's levels. A that says give full control? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
But that's why there's levels of, of people looking at it. You have your, your lower level, your grunts, then you have your upper level, you know, uber geeks, and then you have your top level neckbeards. That, that's why the, a lot of these bugs get caught before they even make it in. I've, I've been counting just FYI, and currently we have three neckbeards on my floor. I've just been trying to keep tally. Um, Any bandana guys? No, when you say bandana guys, you're talking about the guy that wears the bandana on their head. Yeah, yeah. Or oh, no, that's that won't, that's a violation of our policy, company policy, or they probably would be. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no bandana guys. Bandana guy is a is a uh, an amalgamation that Sean and I have created on the Taiwan Tech. That's it's like uh, it's neck beard neck beard plus tinfoil hat uh, plus um, uh, you yeah. know uh, basement. Uh, living geek he's yeah. he's bandana guy and well, uh, well, bob uh my friend bob that i mentioned before he he has he is if tinfoil was cheaper <laughs> <laughs> well, he's something of a tightwad too he's a dumpster diver you know he's willing to be thrifty uh he's he's quite a conspiracy theorist himself uh anyway which you know but your question even though it's far-fetched and and uh reminiscent of a uh um a movie with um Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that, Julia uh, Roberts. It's it's goes to the what we've been talking about this whole show. You know, when we talk about behind the scenes, almost what, always what we're talking about is security stuff. Yeah. And as we push that more and more behind the scenes, Linux gets more Windows like because we're trying to make things easier for the user. So we're trying to abstract more things. We're making more assumptions. Well, what the user meant to do was this. And and so as we push these things more into the background, I think that we become on the whole easier to use, but also less secure. Well, and you see, um, you see that in a lot of applications in general. I mean, the whole thing about Google about Gmail, you know, that they're parsing your mail to give you the best ads, and sure, nobody's looking at your mail. Wink, wink. You know, uh, the whole thing, like, there's all kinds of levels of that kind of thing already starting to happen where, I mean, raise your hand if you've ever read a EULA. <laughs> or if you check the box, I accept the terms, and you go yeah. on. Yeah, that you know, is every- the most told lie in the world today. I, I've read the, the terms and agree. Well, it oh. depends on which ones. I've read a couple. I have to, because otherwise, I don't like just checking a box. Yeah. Well, generally, it's I want the software. Give it to me. I'll agree to whatever you want me to. Yeah. Have you ever read one and then refused to check it? Is the question. You know, that's the, yeah. that's the bigger question. I have. Does it, does it have some kind of Canadian clause or? <laughs> <laughs> Gee, thanks. <laughs> well, no, it was the first Google Chrome EULA. Um, before they fixed it, it was something along the lines of. Installing the software allows um, Google the explicit rights to, uh, now I'm, I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember it exactly, but it's something like anything you see, do, or interact with is now property of Google. Right. Yeah, so, I, like I remember your that. that bank, made, she made a big stink on that. Stink over that one. There's, there's some high-level conspiracy theorists out there who read them for me. <laughs> <laughs> and if it's of any import, it'll be all over the web and I'll know not to click it. Well, one I do take note of sometimes is Facebook because – Facebook will send out the weekly, click this box if you want to give your house to your neighbor, you know, <laughs> security update. <laughs> this is this or is virtually signing your lease. Click this box to stop us from giving your house to your neighbor tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. If you don't click this box, ten, $10 out of your 401k bi-monthly will be submitted to. 
Yeah. So anyway, I just thought I was just because of the topic. I thought that would be something to talk about. You know, from from a newbie standpoint, anyway, I, I wanted the, the command line godfather and the gooey kid to to weigh in. <laughs> the gooey kid. <laughs> you know, but I do think that this show um, was created in a time of transition as you know we've used the phrase a number of times grandma approved os and if you're going to make an os grandma approved the os has to make a lot of assumptions on the part of grandma because right. grandma doesn't know um whether she needs 777 or 764 or 755 on her home directory uh, yeah. nor does she care so in order to do that you know ubuntu is sort of leading the charge there to make the the grandma approved os um, and I think they will probably become the first Linux to be widely hacked as a result of that. In the city. In a time would, of transition. I would think so as well. Um, they've done a lot of things that, like that. You, the Unity interface, it does a lot of assumption for you and, and, and tries to be, to do the right thing every minute of the time. And, I, you know, there, there's some things that I just don't want my computer to do for me. Yeah, like interact with my bank in any way on, on right. my behalf. Yep. Yeah, I was just happy to figure out how to turn off the stupid puppy with the, and the paperclip in <laughs> Microsoft. <laughs> when I figured that Come out, on. I was like, that was a good day. <laughs> Poor Clippy. He got a bad rap. Everybody loves Clippy. Get that dog off my screen <laughs> before he does something. <laughs> and to think a few years ago is we wanted a screensaver with a puppy. To run around and dig up files. Hourglass. Any of you guys ever see the uh, the screensaver that was popular, uh, like in the early '90s, of the guy lost on a deserted island? I was thinking just about that myself. <laughs> I loved that screensaver. It was one of the funniest. Ra 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 He had this yeah. little thing he'd do, <laughs> scratch himself, and yeah, it was great. And and like on Christmas time, Santa would come, and like while he was asleep, and as soon as the sleigh would come off, he'd wake up and go, "Wait, take me with you." It was yeah, so my favorite one was the boat. Uh, I think they t- stole that from a Gary Larson cartoon. The the ship sailing up, sailing up. He's all excited. Then he reaches over and picks it up out of the water. It's a little toy ship. Right. <laughs> and now he'd walk behind the palm tree and change clothes. Right. You know, a little four-inch wide palm tree. So and he would thought you couldn't see. Yeah. So anyway, wow. That, that's taking <laughs> you way back. <laughs> if I could find wow, that screen. Wow, talk about derailing the, the show. Yeah. So any other behind-the-scenes stuff before we move on to our uh, tips of the week? Well, I would say that any of my command line tips would be behind the scenes stuff. That's true, because generally the command line isn't something people interact with. Yeah. Especially not the gooey kid. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, but come on. You'll use it someday. I know what you will. Are you going to spell it G U I or G O O E Y? (laughs) Seth, I have to know. (laughs) Tune in next week and find out. (laughs) Hey, wait a minute. That's about my chance. (laughs) <laughs> All right, so Chris, what is our command line tip of the week? You've already laced them throughout the show already, but uh, what is your command line tip for this week? Today, the command line tip of the week, besides all the ones I've dropped earlier, is one called Screen. Now, this one is really geeky, at least as far as I'm concerned. Um, if you do anything with with SSH, you will really love this command. What it does is it takes you and puts you in a place where this your terminal session does not terminate when you leave it. Mm. You actually have to issue a command to turn it off. So, like, if you're on an SSH session and you're doing work 
and then all of a sudden, say, the Wi-Fi decides to drop out on you, you would lose everything that you were just working on, except for the fact that if you're running Screen. Screen allows it keeps your session active until you tell it to go away. So, And you can have multiple screens going on. Um, it, it's just nice to have, so that way you can say... Um, it, it's just... It's a really geeky thing to do. Um, I use it occasionally when I'm working on three or four different servers, just in case the server crack or the my SSH command terminates for some reason, or I for some reason have a bandwidth lapse, um, which has happened recently with my networks at work. Um, so yeah, it's been a nice thing that remembering to turn that on every time is a little bit of a pain, but it saves you lots and lots of work. Wow, that that may be the geekiest one yet. I try. It's up there. It's in the top fifteen at least. You know, and like that, I used it the other day when I was working on Fog, and I was trying to move. I was at moving files from one from one drive to another and changing the permissions accordingly. And in the middle of the while I was working on it, somebody decided it'd be a great idea to turn off the switch I was using. Well, you know, if something doesn't work, reboot it. That's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> right, right. But it's it was even one of those things. A switch. <laughs> <laughs> I got a call. Switch it on. Switch it off. I got a call from my retired superintendent. All right, that hasn't worked there for a couple of years. Called me about his router at home, his internet access, and he described it to me. And I said, "Well, try just unplugging it from the wall, powering it down, and uh, wait. You know, thirty seconds or a minute. Plug it back in." And see if that fixes it. And he says, you mean for 15 years, all those years I worked with you and you kept telling me reboot it, that's really all I got to do here? Yes. Yes. All I gotta do. It doesn't just count for Windows. I have to share the best magic ticket I've ever seen. That's what we use, uh, Support Desk Express Magic, for all our ticket tracking at our organization. We're talking about, you know, an 8,000 person company. We have 150, 200 IT people. And I was at one of the web developers, Cube, and he had a printout of a ticket taped to his side of his cube and i said what is that and he said it's the best ticket ever and the the description of the ticket was i left a sandwich by my desk can somebody please pick it up and stick it in the refrigerator (laughs) (laughs) and the solution was found sandwich put in refrigerator and the ticket was closed and it was the the corporate receptionist for is had left to go to our main campus (laughs) And knew instead of trying to call around and find somebody, if she just used the web portal to open a ticket, somebody would take care of her sandwich. That's hilarious. So, yeah. That is like, awesome. Yeah, that's that's using some uh, some smarts there too. You knowing that the web ticket would be picked up. Well, I had to track at a smaller company I worked at everything I did for like three weeks because they were trying to justify their IT budget. So we did it like you guys, I'm sure, do everything. You know, toaster ovens, keys and cars, right. whatever. If so my ticket, my one ticket said the date. The person that had brought the request in, the problem was chair will not raise. And the solution was turned round and round. (laughs) (laughs) It was the one that you screw up and screw down. (laughs) Shortly after that, we didn't have to keep track of things anymore. Anyway, (laughs) As long as we're telling stories, I've got one. Same superintendent. Uh, We had just moved into some new offices. New is a relative term. It was an 80-year-old building, but it was new to us. Um, And uh, he, uh, I hadn't been in the office with him before. Now I am. And... He calls me up and says, can you come down to my office for a minute? I need to talk to you. 
And um, on the way by, um, stop and, and get me a Dr. Pepper because the, the kitchen was between the two of us and we had drinks <laughs> in there. So, uh, sure, okay. So I get up, walk down there on, and, and grab him a Dr. Pepper uh, uh, as I'm going, go down to his office, hand him his Dr. Pepper. He says, thanks, that's all I needed. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Thank I get you, Sahib. <laughs> from, from certain people, I routinely get emails that are three or four paragraphs long that that end with me asking me to send an email to somebody with the same content that they just sent me the email. <laughs> yeah. Cause you can't copy and paste on your own. All right, Seth, save us. What is your end user tip of the week? Well, if you like the information you learn on the show, but you would like it in a more like learning environment, or maybe you're wanting to take some of your Linux knowledge and see how well it goes in the workplace, uh, Linux certification might be the thing for you. And so I've put, uh, the two big known, the two big ones in the field are like for entry level is CompTIA. Of course, they have a certification for everything. It's called Linux Plus. And then LPI, which stands for, I think, Linux Professionals International or something. They have like a level one certification. And there's links that'll just show you if you're thinking of like, this Linux stuff sounds cool, I'd like to do it for a living, uh, check out the requirements and see if it's something you would like to do for a living. All right. On, on that note, the other day I was reading a, a couple of tech blogs. The jobs force for Linux administrators is actually in a lull. Um, there's not enough administrators for as many Linux positions yeah, so. and it's a good buzzword in the IT field. So if you can have Linux certification on your resume, you know, they'll at least call you in for an interview. So, Okay. Is that, is that a GUI kit guarantee, Seth? Um, no, but okay. uh, <laughs> it's something I've found to be true. So your mileage may vary is our standard element OP guarantee. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Aaron, what is our noob discovery of the week? Well, being the noob that I am, there's all kinds of questions revolving around this thing called Linux. And one of them I asked myself today, I just I actually today just thought, why a penguin? Why is the penguin the symbol for Linux? And so I did a little Googling and tried to find what I thought was the best article about why the penguin. Um, and so I've got that link there in the show notes, actually the Wikipedia article about it. Or t- his name's Tux, in case you don't know, uh, is uh, a pretty good overall story about it. I, I don't want to give too many spoilers away. We've already ruined uh, the, the day there is still for everybody. I don't want to ruin why we have a penguin for Linux as well. So Google uh, Linux penguin wiki wow. and read at your discretion. I'll put the link, the Wikipedia link in the show notes. Okay. So and that too. And interestingly, um, Tux is the only penguin in the world with yellow feet. Real penguins don't have yellow feet. What color feet do they have? They have brown or gray feet. Huh. Interesting, isn't that? So what if he? I mean, okay, I'll just <laughs> it doesn't stop. have anything to do with anything. <laughs> just a little trivia thing. All right, and if you would like to uh, post more trivia about penguins, you can do that at elementop.com, or you can contact us by email at edl for everyday Linux at elementop.com, or you can find us on Twitter at twitter.com/elementop. I think you're getting the hint there. If you put Element and Opie together, you're probably going to find us. So that uh, we uh, need to hear from you. We need to hear from you. Not not that we would like to. We need to. We're running out of ideas. Frankly, we're 17 shows in, and we're pretty much done. 
So if you if you want these shows to continue, we need your feedback. Otherwise, um, we're going to start talking about knitting with episode eighteen. So there we go. Or other things that may not pertain to Linux, <laughs> like funny stories that we do at work. Yeah, we we maybe we need to do a uh, um, element op after dark and get all the element op hosts together and just be goofy and tell stories. That would be a, a neat thing maybe to do once a month. How would that be different from our normal show? Uh, well, uh, only, barely, only barely. Only <laughs> barely. All right. So, anything else, guys, before we say goodnight? I'm still uh, not wearing pants. I can't pants. think of anything. Oh, you're not wearing Chris admitted it. <laughs> he just admitted it. He's not wearing pants. Nope. Not wearing pants today. Okay. But I'm not saying what I am. Yeah. He's wearing trousers. <laughs> He's wearing trousers. That's right. He's a loser. Hey. <laughs> so, do you play hockey, Chris? No, but I do like watching it. Okay. Uh, my, There's my no hockey thing, league a, around here. The closest hockey league is about 600 miles away. To, to tie in a little for me personally, I'm just going to encourage all our geek listeners out there because geeks tend to be sedentary computer listener people. Still listen to this on your laptop, stick it on your iPod or your cell phone, and go for a walk while you listen to this episode. Now that you're at the end of the episode. All right. Okay, go back and listen to this episode again while you're walking. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> over the Twitters, uh, somebody asked if there would ever be uh, – an MP4 or iOS compatible version of the live stream so that they could watch it on their iPhone or iPad or whatever. Um, uh, probably not is my answer, but if somebody out there knows of a live streaming service that has iPhone compatible uh, live streams, let me know, and I'm not above to switching from uh, um, Ustream. There's no particular reason we're using Ustream other than it was free and easy. So if you know something better out there, let me know. Isn't there a Ustream gal- app for iPhone? God, I don't know. It says there is. So, <laughs> why did you ask if it works? Is that- <laughs> so, all I know is uh, we just click the Ustream button and you, they do everything else. They handle all the, the bandwidth and all that sort of stuff for our millions and millions of live listeners um, that, uh, that join us every time we are on the show. Ustream powers live interactive video that enables anyone to watch and interact with a global audience of unlimited size. So there is, it's called the Ustream app for your iOS device. So there you go. But that's only live though. I think they're wanting to download the podcast, a video podcast. That's what they're wanting. If I were better looking, I might do that. But uh, no, at this point. Yeah, if any of us were better looking. (laughs) Think for yourself. Or or if we had enough listeners ask for it, we might think about it too. No, honestly, uh, you know, while we're on the subject, I'll just be honest. uh, It's all about money. Video is expensive. Uh, It is uh, typically 10 to 12 times larger than audio. So I need more bandwidth. I need more storage space. I need cameras. I need switching gear. uh, If not switching gear, at least editing gear. Um, I don't have any of that. So if you want to see video, fork over some money, people. <laughs> Go buy yeah. $3 million worth of stuff at Amazon via yeah. Element OP. Yeah, because it would really only take, I could do it for a couple thousand. I mean, it wouldn't take a lot, but that's more than I've got in my left pocket at the moment. So everyone who listens to our show, buy your next new car through elementop.com slash Amazon. Elementop.com slash Amazon. Buy everything online, whatever you're going to buy. Buy it through elementopi.com slash Amazon. Speaking and, of which, i got to go buy something. Okay. So, guys. No, you're not responsible <laughs> great for show. the uh, content yes. of your purchase. As I'm sure Sean would say if he were here, and Aaron just did in his behalf, 
Great show. Great show. Thanks for being with us. And that ends this episode of Everyday Elixir.